Hey everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Wednesday Night Wrestling with the Middle-Aged Mark, and that's me, the Middle-Aged Mark. So, this very first podcast is labeled as Episode Zero. The reason that it's Episode Zero is because last night, Wednesday night, was the last episode of NXT being split between the USA Network and the WWE Network. Next week, Episode One will be the first time that we have a head-to-head matchup of AEW versus NXT. Uh, both two hours, one on the USA Network, the other on TNT. Um, this podcast is only focused on those two products, AEW and NXT. Some of it is preference, but also the fact that I think there's plenty of coverage right now on Raw and SmackDown. And I think that AEW and NXT are probably the most exciting products in all of wrestling right now. So we won't be talking about Raw. We won't be talking about SmackDown Live, even though it will be starting on Fox uh, very soon. And we won't be talking Ring of Honor or New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, If this podcast actually takes off, there may be other programming that would be based upon those other shows. But in the meantime, the focus is just going to be on the Wednesday Night War. So I guess it's important to kind of tell you about myself and why I'm even interested in um, exploring AEW versus NXT. And I think part of it is that my history of wrestling and how it goes back to when I was a kid growing up in Connecticut, which you could say is in the shadow of Titan Tower. Um, So pretty much all wrestling in the Northeast is basically WWF back then. I was immediately entranced the first time I saw wrestling for the first time, um, but I was really, really little, and there was nothing I could really uh, sink my teeth into. We weren't really watching it on any kind of regularity. Um, But uh, my mom had a boyfriend at the time who had, uh, his dad was really into wrestling, and he actually had um, the old recordings, uh, not recordings, I'm sorry, uh, the old magazines. uh, So the Pro Wrestling Illustrated, et cetera. And I remember looking through the magazine the very first time I ever saw one, and I I saw something that can only be described as gruesome. And uh, looking back, it was probably, you know, it was probably Dusty Rhodes, it was probably Ric Flair, um, Terry Funk, the guys who were doing, uh, you know, as they call it, the the blood and gore. Um, I was fascinated by it when I was really little, probably shouldn't even been seeing it, because gosh, it it was brutal. Um, but that always stuck in my head, and, and I remember that someone was delivering the claw, and it may have been, you know, Kerry Von Erich delivering the claw to someone, and, you know, of course their head would bleed, which makes absolutely no sense when you think about it. Um, but I was immediately kind of sucked in by the, by the imagery. So fast forward, I'm a little bit older, um, and you have the superstars and wrestling challenge that were on the, uh, the local programming, and uh, I remember the first tag team that I ever really enjoyed was Strike Force which of course was Tito Santana and Rick Martel. Um, And it was such a big deal for them to become uh, tag team champions because they had been, um, well, actually there's a couple of iterations if you you think about it of of different combinations with Rick Martel, for example, um, and with Tito Santana, but together it was just really, really exciting. Um, um, So what really resonated with me was uh, when Strike Force actually went ahead and defeated the Hart Foundation for the Tag Team Championship. Um, that was such a big deal because the Hearts were, were, I think, at that time, also somewhat associated with uh, feuding with uh, the, the British Bulldogs, David Boy Smith, and of course you had the Moth of the South, uh, Jimmy Hart, managing. Um, but Strike Force was really the first tag team that, that really caught my eye, and I kind of started to fall in love with wrestling, more with 
uh, tag team wrestlers than even the guys who were on top at that time, like Hulk Hogan. Now, of course, Hulk Hogan was a huge star and is just uh, such a part of my childhood. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, the tag teams were really exciting to me. And I think that's part of the reason, you know, looking at uh, AEW upcoming looks to be some tremendous tag team wrestling. Um, but then, you know, you fast forward through that time in the 80s and you had teams like, you know, Demolition um, and obviously the, the Powers of Pain. Uh, they also had teams like, uh, you know, the Young Stallions. Uh, you had later on Power and Glory. And of course, you ended up having the Rockers. Um, so uh, what's interesting is uh, we now know what the Rockers became and, and what Shawn Michaels became. But when I was a kid, I, you know, it seemed like Sean couldn't talk. So to, to become who he became uh, later on, when I think some people thought that uh, Marty Jannetty was actually going to be the, the top guy, and he did a lot of the best work in their promos back then. Um, so, you know, I just continued to follow through the 80s as, as Hulkamania grew. And then, um, you know, he had guys like Macho Man Randy Savage and the, the whole feud um, with Hulk Hogan around Miss Elizabeth when the mega powers exploded. Um you know, you had, um, you know, see these great uh, um, cage matches, the old blue cage, which people, you know, continue to talk about to this day. Um, and, and all of that was, I think, my formative years uh, and just really loving pro wrestling, um, watching, you know, Saturday night's main event, which was was mainstream and so exciting because it was on when, you know, Saturday Night Live was supposed to be on and you'd have friends over and, you know, we'd have a sleepover and, and we'd watch Saturday Night's main event. And then eventually we began to do, you know, uh, uh, pooling our money or asking our parents if we could go ahead and watch the pay-per-views and, you know, watching the, uh, uh, gosh, I, I think I clearly can remember, you know, Hulk Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior and what a huge deal that was. And I think a lot of us were... You know, not really over Hogan at that point, um, but Warrior was just so exciting. Um, and then there was the the match, I guess it was SummerSlam, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but SummerSlam with Bret Hart and uh, Mr. Perfect, um, and that whole combination where it ended with uh, reversing the figure four into the sharpshooter, and really that solidified Bret, and I think all of us just kind of lost our minds. I remember it happening, but at the same time, everyone really loved Mr. Perfect. Um, you know, at that time, there was a great uh, video game in the arcade. Uh, I guess it was Wrestling Superstars or Wrestling Challenge. Um, but what I was starting to find out as I got into my teens that I was gravitating more towards the heels. And I guess I didn't even realize that it was happening. Um, but the guys that I would use in the video games were always Shawn Michaels and always Mr. Perfect. Because um, just Mr. Perfect to me was just the best. Um, and I think I still look back at, at uh, pure like in ring. I think I always just really enjoyed uh, Kurt Hennig more than than just about anyone of that era. Maybe other than Brett, and then eventually Sean. Um, but you know, I was talking about uh, the main event, uh, Saturday night's main event, and I had a sleepover at a friend's house. Now I didn't have cable at the time, so obviously it was being able to watch stuff on on network on NBC uh, that allowed me to go ahead and and really enjoy that and and all the syndicated stuff that was on um, you know Saturday mornings. Um, but uh, I went over to his house, he had cable, and they're doing the advertisements, and I, I want to say that it was Starcade. Um, I, I think it was Starcade or Class of Champions, and I didn't even know that this world existed because those magazines I looked at, I was really little, three, four, five years old, and it didn't even dawn on me that, wait a minute, there's other wrestling? Because in Connecticut, it's all WWE all the time. Um, and I was just shocked when I see... Ric Flair and 
Sting. Who's Sting? Sting was, uh, you know, super, super exciting. You look at him. And there was Lex Luger. Um, and, uh, you know, the Road Warriors were, were still, I guess, uh, was it? I think it was still NWA. It was still Crockett. And it wasn't WCW yet. Um, I was like, holy cow, this is amazing. I really want to see that because it was something that was alternative to what I was always seeing. So I think that's going to be kind of a, a recurring theme that you'll see is that I was drawn to the alternative. Now, you couldn't get regular programming of the NWA um, unless you had cable and you had TBS, which I didn't. So I didn't even know that there was programming that I was missing, not being a, a, a cable subscriber. Um, so the the first time I ever saw a, a WCW uh, TV show was uh, my girlfriend at the time. We went to go at some family event and they had cable. And we'd eaten dinner, and it was some holiday. I don't know if it was Easter or Thanksgiving, and that there's that whole after-meal kind of uh, comatose situation, and you go and you sit down in a chair. And I asked if I could turn on the TV. And what do I do when I flip through the channels? I'm like, oh, you have TBS. And what do I see but the classic angle? And I think it was was it Clash of the Champions or Starcade? It was it was on TV, and uh, that was the the uh, the fateful moment that. Uh, Ric Flair defeated Ricky Steamboat, and then Terry Funk came in and turned heel, and it became the, the feud of Terry Funk versus Ric Flair. I was just floored. I was just blown away of how exciting it was. Um, so I, I forget the timeline. I, I meant to do a little bit more research, but I really wanted to get this podcast posted uh, the week prior to AEW NXT. Um, but my only other experience with Ric Flair had been his run, which I think came later. So I think that... Uh, Maybe I have this wrong, but I thought the, the funk flare thing um, happened. Uh, let's see. I'll go ahead and, and look this up. But it was, uh, I think it was either right before or was it right after Rick came back from WWF and the run that he had there. Um, but it was still this completely different world. It was shot differently. So, yeah, that was... Uh, 1989. So 1989, Terry Funk attacks Ric Flair. Um, and I don't think his run with uh, WWE happened until, was it 90 or 91, something like that? Um, again, my timeline might be completely wrong. Um, so I, I am coinciding a, a Twitter account along with this uh, podcast. So of course, if anyone is listening to this, and <laughs> I have no guarantees that anyone is, um, go ahead and, and correct me on, on the timeline. Um, so then there was something else that happened, and that was, again, being in Connecticut, we're the home of ESPN. I got to see other kinds of wrestling for the first time. Um, and there was a lot of the old world-class stuff. Obviously, I think everyone who was a wrestling fan at that time period, you couldn't turn away when you saw someone like um, Kerry Von Erich. I mean, Kerry Von Erich, modern-day warrior, it, just absolute, you know, um, commanded attention. He was like, wow, who is this guy? He's ripped. He's big. Um, and you know, those, those Texas crowds just eating it up and everything he was doing. Um, you know, there was all the stuff that was happening. Um, uh, there was, uh, Memphis and, you know, getting to see a young Jeff Jarrett, um, you know, USWA, WCCW. So there's this whole other world that was opening up and it turns out I really enjoyed southern wrestling i enjoyed the territories um it was different the way that it was wrestled was grittier it was meant to be more realistic with the exception obviously of a, a the claw going ahead and 
you know, making someone's head bleed. Um, but it was, it was, uh, it was something different. It was something refreshing because as much as I still loved the WWF product, um, I loved having the alternative and, you know, I was also into alternative music and, you know, independent punk rock, etc. So I think my, my taste in wrestling are very similar in, okay, WWE is this big product and it's really, uh, polished and, and flashy and it's, uh, you know, the story of my youth, but I was definitely attracted to pretty much anything that was the alternative. So, um, fast forward a little bit and I guess we get into the mid nineties. I moved away. Oh, actually, you know what? Let, let's, let's go back a little bit. Um, there was another product that was happening and I think this was also on ESPN and that was a, a global wrestling federation. Um, so global, I just kind of turned on the TV one day. Um, like, Oh look, it's new programming. Cause I think it went from WCCW to USWA, um, USWA, uh, the, the real feud that everyone remembers was obviously um, stunning Steve Austin versus his mentor Chris Adams um, and those horrible trunks that Austin wore and that stringy long hair um, that he likes to call his long flowing locks. Um, not not quite Steve, it was it was already uh, getting a little thin then. Um, sorry if that's stiff and not that Stone Cold Steve Austin's ever going to hear this podcast, but uh, this ever comes back to bite me, uh, you know, uh, well, hell yeah. Um, Nevertheless, uh, GC, uh, the Global Wrestling Federation was really something that caught my eye. Um, I think the Ebony Experience was there. That was uh, what become uh, Harlem Heat. That's Booker T and Stevie Ray. Um, but what's critical to this, and it's going to come up a, a little bit later as I go through the timeline, um, was there was a guy called Scotty Anthony. And Scotty Anthony was the uh, Palm Beach heartthrob with the best possible finishing maneuver called the Palm Beach head throb. It was a pile driver, and we know now that that was the man who would become Raven. And as an homage to his favorite wrestler of all time, Jerry Lawler, the head throb was a pile driver, which is tremendous, as he would say. Um, so fast forward a little bit, um, you know, we talk about ECW, which will be coming up. Um, keep that in mind that Scotty Anthony was at that point my favorite indie wrestler before I even knew there was indie wrestling. Um, so as time went on, I think like many of us do, um, you know, we get a little bit older, you know, do some college, we're working, you know, we're, we're dating, we're doing all these different things in life and wrestling kind of became less important. I was also a huge comic fan until I started again dating and it was like, okay, do I got to buy uh, comic books or, you know, flowers for my girlfriend or go out to dinner or going on dates? Um, I don't, I don't know if kids these days still do that kind of stuff, but certainly back then, um, this was something that I was using my hard-earned money from from my my part-time jobs was to to go ahead and you know have fun and have relationships and and have interactions and wrestling became less and less important and then uh, I moved away uh, I moved from Connecticut to Boston and I pretty much didn't watch any wrestling probably for a couple of years except for maybe I'd turn on the TV you know look superstars I think was still on the air or or challenge was still on the air and I'd watch for a little bit mm, yeah yeah okay that's that's fun. But it kind of felt like it was still the same thing. Um, you know, I, I don't really remember a ton of the Diesel era um, and the earlier part of, of, I guess, Brett's run and, and, you know, Sean's run. But I just really wasn't watching at all. So I remember I was... Uh, the early days of the internet was starting to happen. So there's ways to, to get content. And uh, there, usually it was like message boards and things like that. But I'm clicking through the channels late one night and I'd heard about something on, on the internet, but I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. And 
the Spanish channel in Boston was also doing paid programming. And there was a paid programming, and it even said the following is paid programming. And it was ECW. And the first person I see looks awfully familiar. And I go, wait a minute. That's Scotty Anthony. That's Scotty the body. And sure enough, there it was, Raven, in a completely, completely different gimmick. And just, just so you know, I really had no interaction uh, with the, the Johnny Polo time of, of WWF. I wasn't watching it. Um, so really had no idea that he didn't have that, uh, that gimmick until actually later. I may have seen it on TV like once and said, oh gosh, that's, that's an awful gimmick. Um, nevertheless, I went ahead and said, wow, this is really interesting. What a different, what a different, uh, you know, character this is. Um, and I was immediately just smitten with the ECW product. Again, it was alternative and it harkened back to those early magazines that I saw and the blood, and the grittiness, and the realism. And what was so interesting is that they were also doing that character work in many ways that WWF was, but it was so much so much grittier. Like, I mean, the FBI, Tracy Smothers as part of the FBI. Ridiculous. You had the Godfather, which is wildfire Tommy Rich. Um, absolutely ridiculous that they were the FBI, but it worked because everyone was committed to it, and they got it over, and, you know, it was, it was something so different. You had... Um, you know, the pit bulls and public enemy, uh, you had the eliminators, my gosh, the eliminators, Cronus and Saturn were absolutely, in, in my opinion, the best tag team of that era. Um, I, I really do think they were the best. Um, <clears throat> so I began kind of saying, oh, I think I'm, I think I'm kind of enjoying wrestling again. So, um, girlfriend and I, at the time we get cable and I'm flipping through channels. Sure enough. TNT, I guess it was TNT. Yeah, I think it was TNT um, or TBS. And I turn it on and they're talking about, uh, I think, a match and it's the Steiners. And the Steiners are going to be facing the Outsiders, Hall and Nash. I'm like, who the heck are the Outsiders, Hall and Nash? And why do they have such plain names? Well, it turns out it's their actual names and holy cow, there's Diesel and Razor. Um, I was absolutely floored and it was during that time period so I think it was that week that was coming up to a pay-per-view which I didn't end up watching but I read about it or I watched it uh, that week the you know the following episode and that's Hogan's heel turn holy cow what has happened to wrestling um ECW is exciting it's violent it's brutal and now you have Hulk Hogan as a heel and the NWO and what they were doing I'm like wow this is not the product I grew up with. And I, and I will say that I do think that ECW was the heaviest influence on what would become the Attitude Era. And anyone who says otherwise, I, I think, is really mistaken. Um, what they were doing changed the business. Everyone was watching what Paul Lee was doing in ECW. The fans were, and they were craving something different because you could not keep doing that kind of classic Hulk Hogan 80s big cartoonish character thing when you had something like ECW going on. Even though ECW was doing the, the, the gimmick stuff, the Dudleys were a crazy gimmick when, when they first started and, and you know stuttering Bubba Ray and, and all that. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, but there was just absolutely no way um, that that was going to continue to work. So I flip over the channel and say, oh, wow, what's going on over in WWF world? 
And at that time, I, I don't think, I think maybe Austin had just become Stone Cold Steve Austin from the Ringmaster. It might have been just after King of the Ring. Um, there was Brett doing the new Heart Foundation and Total Heels. Uh, that was something that was also working really, really well. Um, and then Sean, of course, was super over, and all of this eventually led into what had become the Attitude Era. Um, but for the longest time, I was still more interested in what was happening in ECW and WCW because, again, it was the alternative. I mean, it was really exciting and mind-blowing to see Hulk Hogan as this heel and then to see all the different guys who, before they completely saturated it and, and ruined it. Um, I loved that Kurt Hennig was a member of the Four Horsemen. That, to me, made perfect sense. I loved that. It was, it was, it was great. And then, of course, there was X-Pac, who was six, and then he was, you know, they called him six, and he went back and forth, and, um, you know, the war was on, and, and trying to get talent was on. But I still was always, always, always more on the WCW side, which is really unfortunate, considering how bad that it got. And then, there, of course, there was ECW on TNN, and I was really, really hoping that this was going to be what they needed to become that even maybe not be the third brand, but be the second brand and really have that national exposure by being on cable. And I would videotape it, um, VCRs, you know, Google it, kids. And I would go ahead and uh, I would videotape it and I would bring it into work because I was working third shift and I would bring it in and I would show some of my colleagues and say, you have to watch this. And I would play like a New Jack promo. Crazy. What is this product? So I was trying to do my part to go ahead and sell it. Um, so then, um, slowly but surely, obviously WWF and Steve Austin just took off and the business was again changed forever. So eventually ECW went out of business. Um, my favorite guy had gone back and forth. That was Raven going to WCW back to, to ECW. And then even with this opportunity that I thought they had with TNN, TNN goes ahead and boots them, even though it was probably the top-rated show at the time, because they made a play for WWF. WWF, although having a relationship with Paul, came in, and in my opinion, that was the the last. That was that was really it. Um, there was nowhere else for ECW to go, and that was the the death knell for ECW. Then there was things that I didn't like about WWF, and, and somewhere in that time, you know, Owen Hart died, and, and again, being Mr. Alternative, I'm like, well, I'm never going to watch WWF again. Vince McMahon basically, you know, screwed up and, and allowed Owen to die, and that's not fair, and I don't think anyone really feels that way. It was a terrible accident, but I was virtue signaling a little back then and saying, I will never watch that product again. Yeah, well, eventually they were the only game in town, and they purchased WCW, and as much as I was hopeful that there was going to be, like what they do now, the brand split, I was really hoping that it was going to be WCW, except booked by the booking committee or whoever was uh, you know, doing it at the time at WWF. Because I thought with that talent roster, my gosh, they, I really think it was an opportunity that still goes uh, missing to me when they did the uh, alliance and, and all that, the invasion. It was, it was terrible. And it just didn't work. And I think it was a waste of a lot of talent. The one thing I'll say, though, about both WCW and ECW that, in my opinion, always made them seem, as much as I loved their product, it wasn't even production value. It's the rings. Now, I am a fan 
and, and you know, I, I don't have a good Stone Cold Steve Austin impression, but he always talked about a 20 by 20 ring. Well, the 20 by 20 ring to me just looks more professional wrestling. It looks to really be the cream of the crop. You have this big ring, the way it presents, the way it shoots, the way it looks on TV. And WCW, I think, was, was 18 by 18 or even 16 by 16, I think, in, in ECW. I'm completely wrong again. Uh, you can always tell me on the, on Twitter. But um, it just wasn't the same. It just wasn't the same, and it presented very, very differently. So now WWE is the only game in town. And how can you not look at, you know, Austin and The Rock and Kurt Angle, Edge and Christian, the Hardys, now the Dudleys are there. I mean, it's tremendous. It's absolutely tremendous, and it's a spectacle. But ultimately, kind of got bored. I get bored, I, I think, in and out. So there was the TNA days, and that's when I first discovered some guy called, you know, AJ Styles, like so many. Um, and for me, the the big moment for TNA, and I was so psyched, was when Christian came over. And when Christian came over, I'm like, see, yes, this is this is a real alternative product. This really is the the next game in town. Now, this is a good, you know, couple years, uh, I think, after the closure of WCW. Jeff Jarrett obviously wasn't hired by WWF. They didn't pick up his contract. And I'd still think that the, the TNA product at the time, as much as I hated that that six-sided ring, which I know some people are like, well, that was its identity, and people watch AAA, and they have their you know rig configuration. But I just always thought it looked really hokey, with the exception of when they did the six sides of steel. thought that was really, really cool. And I think TNA, at various points, had a really great, great product with a really young, hungry roster. You know, guys like Kazarian, and guys like Christopher Daniels, and AJ, and, and all those guys. So I think that if you had an affection for, well, also Ring of Honor at that time. So Ring of Honor and TNA, they would do some talent swaps and the talent went back and forth. Um, but, it, you know, it was less um, less accessible to see Ring of Honor. So TNA really was this great brand. And, I, and I'm glad to see that now an impact uh, is, is kind of rebounding and coming back with some great booking with Don Callis. Um, but I still, that smaller ring, I think it's a smaller ring unless they've changed it recently. I just, I don't think it has that, that grandeur and that feel. So that being said, I'm not really watching wrestling much other than just, you know, WWE. I'm watching Raw. I'm, I'm watching SmackDown and, you know, the Shield was really an exciting thing. And, you know, the Wyatt family, again, I think these are all kind of missed opportunities where it could have been even bigger, where I think all the guys could have come out as huge stars. And he's going to say, well, they have, they've been major champions. I think just now they're getting to to guys like Rowan and Harper, um, where I, Luke Harper I think is tremendous, um, but I still I, I still think that could have been better because you you had the Shield, you had uh, the Wyatt family, and you have New Day, you have these trios, and I just always I love the trios I, I really do even going back to the old you know uh, NWA six man tag team I thought it was really tremendous I've always enjoyed the the trio style. And uh, I don't think a lot of enough people do it. I love that Ring of Honor brought that back. But that brings us, uh, I guess, in some ways to Ring of Honor. Um, I had seen for a minute when the Young Bucks were in TNA, they were as Generation Me. But I mean, gosh, I mean, uh, Generation Me, they call them the Bucks. What was it? Jeremy, Matt and Jeremy Buck. Gosh, it's going to be the Young Bucks. I mean, that's not so different than... WWF or WWE, getting guys from the indies and giving them new names and new packages. But <clears throat> we saw those guys all those years ago. 
And I hadn't really watched much of, of Ring of Honor. And I honestly, I, I, I still don't to some extent, but just looking at the internet. And for whatever reason, um, I mean, most likely it was because I was looking at star ratings. And I guess, you know, AJ Styles had been, you know, it was really, I think it was a lot of it was about AJ and AJ going over to New Japan and not going to WWE and, and reading some of the stuff online. So out of curiosity, I kind of begin kind of, you know, casually looking over at New Japan, which some of the talent exchange with Ring of Honor. So I kind of start watching a little bit of Ring of Honor. And then I stumble upon, and I think it was one of those suggestions in YouTube, being the elite. And with being of the elite, I'm like, holy cow, this is funny. This is good stuff. This is, they're, they're, they're doing angles as much as they're just doing a, a travelogue. Um, but what's so curious is how that show had such a, a I call it a show, but it had such a feeling of something that was kind of punk rock, kind of alternative. Obviously, there are things happening in wrestling outside of WWE that were really exciting. So again, this appeals to my alternative sense of, but what else is out there other than what we're being, you know, given from this huge publicly traded company, which is awesome, by the way. There's there's nothing wrong with that. Love the product. But I'm like, wow, those are the that's the generation me guys. That's the young bucks. So I begin watching, and I begin to watch New Japan, and I start to watch the the joint shows, and then I see Bullet Club, and all these things are happening, and Kenny Omega and Okada. And Tanahashi, and over on the you know the Ring of Honor side, you had guys like oh Adam Cole, baby, um, Marty Skrull, and the Ring of Honor product, and I'm like, wow, this is really great. And then Cody, Cody leaves, and he does his list of all the people that he wants to wrestle. He did his TNA gig. He he did that. He did some Global Force wrestling, and he began to spend a lot more time and is signing exclusively with Ring of Honor and doing the stuff in New Japan. And this all appealed to my sense of what professional wrestling should be. I was one who was somewhat brainwashed by the whole, there's no selling in the indies. There's no selling in New Japan. Let me tell you, you watch that match between the Young Bucks versus the Golden Lovers and tell me there's no selling and you're wrong. If you don't look at those uh, you know, matches between Okada and Kenny, particularly the time limit draw, and don't see the psychology of that. I don't know what to tell you. But then I have to imagine that there's some guy, he's having this really great run in WWF. He's been around forever, and he has been in all of the places that I've mentioned, Chris Jericho. So Chris Jericho was ECW, then he was WCW, and then... He was a guy who made the jump and instantly became a star that anyone who was watching WCW knew was a star and obviously was not ever going to have the opportunity to be a top guy there. Well, he's having this great run. He's got the list. He's Kevin Owens, you know, Festival of Friendship. And I'd have to imagine that it's more than just Don Callis saying, hey, Chris, you got to see this guy, Kenny Omega. I'm sure Chris probably was, hey, See this being the late thing and see what these guys are doing. And I think he also has that sense of what's alternative, what's a challenge, what's different. And I think that probably appealed to to his sense. And um, then he makes the jump over to New Japan and that's shocking and it's exciting. It's like, wow, all these things, again, 
are happening outside the WWE sphere, the WWE bubble. And of course, you got guys like, you know, uh, uh, Bubba Ray, Bully Ray. He ends up being in Ring of Honor. And I think what's so interesting is now as we start to segue over into, you know, the, the war, is how many of the guys that are on both products in many ways we're really forming uh, what the business has become. I mean, that is, you know, Adam Cole with the super click and how, you know, his departure into NXT was precipitated by Marty Skrull joining Bullet Club. I mean, these are amazing stories that come across all the brands. It's incredible. Joey Ryan being such a big part of, you know, different parts of, of being the elite and certainly all in with his storyline with Hangman Adam Page. Well, world's cutest tag team, his, his best friend, is Candice LeRae, and now she's killing it over in NXT. So there's all these parallels and, and these interesting interweaving stories that makes the, the war piece, the two different brands, even more fascinating when you think about how these guys have worked together and come up together. I mean, imagine a segment of Undisputed Era on opposite Young Bucks match or even a, uh, an elite match with, with the Young Bucks and, and Hangman or... Young Bucks and Cody or, or whatever. Um, you have these amazing separate real-life stories that the fans are going to be looking at when they start seeing the programming. So I guess now is a perfect time to segue, now that I've given you a little bit of my own background and the journey that I've had with, with pro wrestling and why I love it and why it's so exciting to have this opportunity to see something truly amazing. I think that what is obvious is that anyone who says it's not a war or that it isn't competitive just has to look at what the cards are being formed. Now, AEW, long before they they had this announcement that NXT was going to be on, on USA, they announced that very first match is going to be Cody versus Sammy Guevara. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to have AEW on live on my TV and I'm going to have NXT on my iPad. And I'm going to watch both because I'm really fascinated to see how the programming versus counter-programming is going to work. Because if you remember back in the day of WCW versus WWE and the Monday Night Wars, that was a big piece of it too. It's positioning different things at different hours. Now, I'm not going to get into the into the, the business talk because I'm not in the business. I'm just a fan. So I'm not going to get into quarter hours and all that. I'm more fascinated just the, the lineups and how they're going to be facing off against each other and how one particular division on one show matches up versus another and how often those segments kind of line up. So, for example, the women's matches. So, the women's matches. You have NXT announcing it's going to be Shayna Baszler versus Candice LeRae. Obviously, over on AEW, there's going to be the women's championship match, which is going to be Nyla Rose versus Rio. I have to be honest, as much as I love the alternative product that is AEW, and I do look at NXT as being its own brand, and yes, it's alternative to Raw and SmackDown, but it's still part of the big machine, as much as Triple H has done a tremendous job making it feel, look, it's it's looks and feels like an indie, but it's booked that classic wrestling style, so going even back to, you know, my enjoyment of, of uh, the Southern wrestling and how stories built over long form. I mean, the, the, the Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, that was such a long burn, a long story. 
um, you know, uh, Bailey going ahead and, and beating Sasha. Like all these stories that they do are long form, old school, classic wrestling storytelling. And kudos to Triple H and the crew that he has down there. So I think if the time comes when Triple H takes over the, the whole company, we're going to have some great booking. And it's going to be what I think the fans really want and not what Vince wants. Um, cause I think there are different things and yes, you want to use wrestling psychology for your audience, but you can't do it to the point where you're insulting the audience. And I think that's what happens from time to time. See, I'm just going to take a sip here of, uh, a little nightlight craft light lager from night shift brewing. I don't have any sponsors. It's a brand new show, but Hey, if anyone hears this, I'll happily take a case. Ah, that's good. Um, so as much as I love AEW, if you ask me what is a more exciting matchup, both in-ring and story, I think you have to go with the women's match on NXT. Baszler is a killer. She's amazing. Great story. She she just owns the division. And I am looking forward to a showdown with her and, and Rhea Ripley. And then Candice LeRae, ultimate white meat babyface Candice LeRae, who's shown some fire and, you know, the four-way match just bonkers. But that's a more exciting match to me. I, I, I think I know what's going to happen a little bit more on AEW. Um, you know, armchair booking. I think they're going to put Nyla Rose over. They're working on the inclusivity angle. Um, and, you know, they're, they're selling their, their broadcast. They're selling their, their product of being a very modern, let's call it a millennial product. Even though I think a lot of guys my age who came through the whole ECW thing um, are very drawn and attracted to, to AEW's overall product. I just think that the ring work, despite the stories that they, they're trying to tell, which is a, a David and Goliath story, I don't think the ring work from the women right now in AEW is as crisp or as polished or as skilled or telling uh, stories, ring psychology, as what's happening in NXT. I just think those women are hitting on all cylinders, and I think that's on the, the main rosters everywhere. The women's division that fall under the WWE umbrella, absolutely amazing. You know, it's interesting, though, when you think about it, is Riho has oftentimes been in the audience at um, New Japan shows for Kenny Omega. I think they would show her in the crowd, because um, obviously New Japan has no no women's division. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would hope that, you know, Riho had an opportunity to go over. It's a David and Goliath story. You know, Nyla Rose, I think, is definitely going over. And I think that they're going to keep the strap on, on Shayna on the NXT side. Um, and building up to, I think, a match with uh, Rhea Ripley and make Rhea Ripley out to be, you know, a real world beater. So I guess the big question I have is you're, you're starting out with a long announced match that is going to be the opening match is Cody versus Sammy Guevara. So I'm curious what the counter programming is going to be on the NXT side. Um, maybe they're going to start off with a tag team match. No way of knowing, but... Uh, you know, it's the Street Profits versus the Undisputed Era for the championship. I think, obviously, they're going to keep the title on Undisputed Era, uh, you know, uh, Fish and O'Reilly, because they're really building up the Undisputed Era as a faction, which obviously I think still works uh, today. I, I think you're seeing it over in other products, whether it's, you know, all the factions over in New Japan. And I think that you're starting to see a little bit of that Seeds being planted uh, on the on the main roster brands too, with like the club and stuff like that. 
because what's the other match that you could possibly put on against uh, you know your opening match of Cody versus Sammy, which really is less exciting than I think if you started off with the tag team championship match, which I think is is most likely going to be the case. I could be wrong. Maybe they started out with the women's match because they have started off the women in a couple of the, the cards now. I'd be really curious. So then you have another announced match for AEW, which is Kenny Omega and Young Bucks versus Chris Jericho and two mystery partners. Now, maybe I'm wrong. I would be thinking that this is going to be the main event, which would put it most likely up against the NXT championship of Riddle versus Cole. Now, this is really interesting because you have two of the biggest stars in wrestling. Now, Kenny Omega, obviously more internationally than domestically, or at least North America, whereas Chris Jericho is Chris Jericho, and he's the, you know, he's the GO. Will that be enough of that combination to offset a NXT title match of Riddle versus Cole, which, you know, I think Riddle is about as over as you can get right now, and uh, Adam Cole, baby, is is Adam Cole. Um, what's really curious, so just a, a quick digression. So there's all this talk about Kenny, and Kenny's saying things that are offensive and, uh, you know, kind of talking down to the boys. And I don't think the the even the wrestling media, so let's take Busted Open Radio. Uh, you know, Mark Henry and, and Bully Ray, they've both talked about, you know, different perspectives on on whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing, maybe it should be company to company. I guess it's really more Mark Henry was kind of saying that Kenny was out of line. But when you consider the fact that Kenny has been as a character, so this is the whole being the elite piece, and I, I don't think enough people realize that even though AEW hasn't had TV, it doesn't mean they haven't been telling stories. Now, the AEW fans, the elite fans, they're watching all this stuff. They're watching the Road 2s. You know, Road to All In, uh, Road to All Out, um, Road to TNT. They're watching Being the Elite on a weekly basis. They know that Kenny's character is having a bit of a meltdown because he's not winning. He's the best bout machine. He's the best in the world. He's beaten Okada, you know? He's a, he's a big deal. Um, he's beaten Jericho. Uh, he's beaten Aito, uh, you know? Uh, I think he's beaten, uh, hasn't he beaten Tanahashi? So... He's kind of a big deal everywhere else. Here he is. The story is he's losing. He obviously lost to Jericho. He didn't get in the title match. He lost to Pac. Pac's a replacement. Kenny, I mean, he's Kenny Omega. Isn't he the man? So that's been the character that he's unraveling, and he's not acting particularly Kenny Omega-like. Now, obviously, we saw Kenny as the heel bullet club, uh, the cocky, arrogant heel. Anyone who says that Kenny's not uh, good at a promo or even sometimes great as a promo, I think is really missing. They didn't watch a lot of the packages leading up to the the uh, Okada series. I, I just think that he's actually really quite good. Um, he just has a very different cadence and approach, and I think people sometimes just don't quite get Kenny and, and how he does it. So he was doing all of that in character, clearly working, clearly showing this kind of disconnected from reality. He's kind of upset. He doesn't know who he is, where he's going to be. Um, is he ever going to win again? And that kind of played in perfectly. So when they did the the rebuttal, his, his follow-up video saying, obviously I'm working, obviously I'm in character. I think it's very clear because he knows guys like Adam Cole. Right now, if Adam Cole 
had chosen to stay in Ring of Honor, continue to work in New Japan, he would have been part of this whole phenomenon. He was a member of the elite, super click. He's an integral part of what they became. I don't think any of those guys are going to talk down to Adam Cole, who's the NXT champion, and think that if he was on the same card as Kenny Omega, he'd be in a dark match. There's no way he thinks that. But it does kind of go back. So this is where, you know, these interweaving stories about who these guys were before they, you know, got to where they are today. Kenny and Adam Cole had kind of a rivalry. Adam Cole thought he should become the leader of Bullet Club. Then they had to kill him in storyline when he went to, you know, NXT. But to, to think that Kenny's denigrating them as individuals because he had once been in the developmental, I think that's just, uh, it's silly. He's clearly working. And um, I think that uh, uh, Dijakovic, I think that he's probably worked him. I'm trying to remember if he has because he was in, you know, he I think he worked Ring of Honor a couple of times and some of the indies that these guys work. I think there's such a healthy respect. And I don't think that Kenny's ever been known as someone who's not respectful to guys in the business. So, hey guys, you gotta watch Being the Elite. You gotta watch the, you know, Nightmare Family stuff, the AEW stuff. Otherwise, you're missing out because they have been telling stories this whole entire time. And if you don't think so, you go back and you look at the saga of Hangman Page versus Joey Ryan. And that was like a year build doing nothing but a YouTube channel, completely independent of what was happening in the promotions that they were working, both Ring of Honor and New Japan. That is long-term storytelling. Not only can the Young Bucks write stories along with Kenny Omega, they can work, they can sell, they can do all of it. So hopefully perceptions are going to change on this North American stage, this national stage. But I'd be curious to see what's going to happen and who are Chris Jericho's mystery partners. I know some of the theories are like, well, maybe it'll be LAX, whatever they're going to be called. Or maybe it's talent that we haven't even seen before. Happy to know, uh, again, when I when I have the Twitter up, if you want to post in your comments, anyone who might be listening to this, um, who you think it might be. Who are Chris Jericho's mystery partners? I'd be really curious. Are they former WWE guys? Are they um, someone that not expected? Because you'd have to imagine if they're teaming with Jericho, they have to be of some import just because of who he is. I don't know. Maybe it'll be, uh, you know, Dustin or, or someone like that. Uh, let's see. They're also going to have uh, Hangman Page versus Pac. I don't know what they're doing with Hangman Page right now because if you look at the poster for AEW Dynamite, Hangman, who is just in a world title match with Chris Jericho, is nowhere to be found. Instead, you have guys like MGF much more prominently featured. Um, so I'm not sure what the, the other side of, of that's going to be. Oh, uh, just very quickly, um, there's no way Riddle goes over, by the way, over on NXT, because Adam Cole, uh, you know, Roderick Strong and uh, O'Reilly and Fish, there's no way they're taking any titles off these guys right now. They've just built them up to have all the gold. They're launching this this show nationally on, on USA. There's no way they're going to just immediately take it off. Maybe I'm wrong. Just seems silly from a business perspective. So just as a kind of a sidebar, I'm going to kind of go back and forth between kayfabe and keeping it in storyline and then somewhat talking about, you know, the business aspects of it. But I think that it kind of denigrates the, the product in some ways when some guy who's never been in the ring, and I've never been in the ring, 
starts going too far into the, well, let's talk about the psychology and the long-term booking. And does it make sense? Because I'm hoping that through this process, they're going to keep us, I guess, hardcore wrestling fans guessing. And they're going to not have anything particularly obvious unless it's a blow-off match where it's, it's been built up match after match and over a long build. I think a lot of times you can see the blow-off match happening, you know, maybe the baby face. The baby face finally goes over and vanquishes the villain. That's awesome. But otherwise, a lot of the times I'm going to talk about the storylines and just looking at the head-to-head matchups on each product and really which match is better at any given time. So the 9 o'clock match, what are they doing? Who did it better? Um... You know, you also have MJF versus Brandon Cutler. I like Brandon Cutler. Like, I like the guy, his story. I'm just not there with him as a superstar yet. Whereas MJF, oh my gosh, if you don't think this guy could walk out of AEW tomorrow, and I don't even think that, maybe I'm wrong, I can't see him just going, quote-unquote, into developmental this is a guy that I think is, is already polished. Was he 22, 23 years old? He is a, a final product. I think he can go on a, on a main roster of any company. Uh, he could be on Raw or SmackDown tomorrow, and I think he'd be one of the top guys. He'd be over, at least, and it would all depend on booking. But he's not a guy who's going to need a script. He can just go ahead, go out there, absolutely cut a promo. Supposedly, we're going to see an appearance by John Moxley. Uh, the first time back after the staph infection in his elbow, which is something that's been kind of a recurring issue for him. So I'm really quite surprised to see. Um, going to be surprised to see how he is and if he's back to being the, the, the well, I guess it's the old John Moxley. It's the old CCW John Moxley and, and see if he's uh, back and ready to rock and roll and pick up where he left off. Uh, so what, let's see, what else might I be missing on the... NXT side as far as the the card for next week. I think I've captured all the main matches that they've gone ahead and um, announced for next week. Um, but it really is going to be an exciting time. I think it's an exciting time in our business. I think there are really a lot of um, great talents that are going to have an opportunity. In NXT, I'm super psyched to see Kushida get an opportunity here in North America I'm just hoping, and I know it's probably never, ever going to happen, but I have long hoped that Alex Shelley would get an opportunity on that kind of stage. So maybe having the time splitters back together, even for a short run, would be tremendous, but I really got a kick out of Kushida and Brazango. I think that's really great. I think, obviously, guys like uh, you know Keith Lee and Dijakovic are going to be huge stars. I'd love to see a Dijakovic uh, versus, well, Punishment Martinez, um, I'm forgetting at the moment, you know, what they, they call him uh, now in NXT. But there's such a, an interesting amount of, of talent on both sides. But I have to say that the, the counterculture part of me is really kind of all in, pun, I guess, intended, on AEW and, and hopeful for their success. Now, you can't just call them a run-of-the-mill indie when they're powered by a billionaire and Tony Khan who understands TV, who I'm sure understands a, a profit and loss statement as well as anyone. And I think he's going to put together this awesome product and they'll be able to weather any storm. So I'm just wondering, uh, again, sound off in the comments, anyone who might be listening to this. And if you are listening to this, you're the one. Thank you. I'm really curious to see how this all plays out. I'm hoping that AEW does a huge opening number. 
and I think that it could, and I'm hoping that it will. Um, but just to kind of give you a one other little tidbit about myself. So I have the WWE Network, and I really haven't let my kids watch a lot of wrestling. My, my oldest is 14 and, and is old enough to watch a lot of the product. And, you know, I know a lot of people let much younger kids and say, but I just haven't really gone down that road too much until All In. And when All In happened, I'm like, guys, you're going to watch your very first pay-per-view. So I'm proud to say that as a parent, as a father, as a long-term wrestling fan, the very first wrestling pay-per-view that my kids watched was an independent show in Chicago called All In with what would become AEW. That is such a point of pride for me because then afterwards, then we watch the WWE product. Then we watch the big shows and the WrestleManias and the SummerSlams and all the NXT takeovers. But that was their first show. Now, because I've, I've been watching wrestling for a really long time, when the Hangman match with Joey Janela came on, I said, guys, you got to scram. You can't watch this match. And gosh, am I glad that I sent them upstairs because that whole segment with the Druids and Joey Ryan and Hangman Page was about as crazy a thing as I've seen since the old uh, ECW days and um, when Kimona danced atop the ECW arena. I love this business. I'm hoping that you have enjoyed listening to this debut episode. I'm sure the sound quality hasn't been great. I'm battling, I think, a, a cold. I've also just got a dog. Um, I think I might be reacting a little bit. So I've probably been breathing like crazy on this as I'm really hyped up and amped up and excited and just doing my first podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you tune back in, and I hope you will give a review and give me an opportunity to be a part of your weekly listening. And I know there's a lot of wrestling broadcasts and I mean, you, you really can't you swing a cat. You can't miss some wrestling program. And there's a lot of really great stuff. And a lot of guys who've been in the business who know 10 times more than me about the ins and outs, but I know what I enjoy. And I think there's a lot of people like me, 45 years old who have come through the, the heyday of Hogan and Flair, and the WWF, and the NWA, UWF, GCW, WCCW, USWA, AWA, all these products were, were a big part of, of our younger years, and as we fanned out and learned about wrestling, I'm not a great historian, I can't tell you what happened on what date in history, I don't remember all the cards and where they were from. But I've always loved this business. I've enjoyed it. I can still suspend my disbelief. I can still watch a show and get hooked. I can still go ahead and watch a guy and go, gosh, they might actually be hurt. Because let's face it, these guys do get hurt. These guys and gals, they do get hurt. And if you can go ahead and sucker me in and make me think that you have just snapped your leg in half like Sami Zayn can, because my gosh, Sami can sell like he's injured, like nobody's business. Well... That's what makes it fun. That's what makes it exciting. That's what makes it this weird, weird business that's a cross between your soap opera and Shakespeare. And it can be violent. It can be funny. It can be really anything that you want it to be. It just needs to be fun. 
and it needs to engage you. It needs to make you, as they always say, forget a little bit about the day-to-day. You put your worries aside and you watch a great story being told in the ring. It is dramatic. It is powerful. It is a movie happening right before your very eyes. I think there's a lot of people like me in my age, my demographic, who I think is more aligned with AEW than maybe they're thinking. They're trying to get that 18 to, was it 18 to 35 or whatever it is. But I think there's a lot of people my age who have gone through that, the Generation X guys, and probably is because of ECW. Everyone's trying to compare both the NXT product and presentation, Full Sail being small, with the old ECW arena. But then the feeling of a revolution happening over in AEW, but also like ECW. I think this is going to be really exciting. I think it's going to continue to keep this renaissance of wrestling that's happened that's happening everywhere. It's really awesome. Thank you for taking some time to listen to this podcast. I'm hoping that it can grow and become something. Um, I'm going to try to have the Twitter up as soon as I can. Uh, if I can, I'll put it in the comments um, or the write-up on this episode so that you can go ahead and follow me. Again, this is Wednesday Night Wrestling, and I am the middle-aged Mark brother. Please tune in next week when we will have the very first head-to-head AEW versus NXT. It's not really for a championship. It's for your viewing eyes. Talk to you next week. And I'm out.